It's the Kyle Hyman Show on Redeemer Radio. What do I do when no one is watching or no one is paying me? Hmm. And it was just a lot of service work. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Flavor of the Week, brought to you by Banditos, fresh, made daily. In Flavor of the Week, Kyle sits down with one of our local priests to sample variations of a favorite food or drink while they discuss the ins and outs of life as a priest. This is Kyle Hyman. I am here at the Bass Mansion or the Brookside Manor here at the University of St. Francis. Do you, do you prefer Bass Mansion or Brookside Manor? Usually we say Brookside Manor, Okay, but so people use both because both are accurate. Okay. So I'm here with Father Dr. President Eric Zimmer. Got so many different titles, I don't know what order to put them in. Is there, is there a correct way to do it? Uh, usually, Father Zimmer is more than sufficient. <laughs> okay. it, it seems like you've lived multiple lifetimes with your number of experiences, with your degrees, and I want to get into all of that, and, and interests and hobbies as well, biking mm-hmm. and things. You mentioned for the flavor to do salsa. Yes. And so our friends over at Guadalupe Mexican Grill cooked up a variety of salsas, guacamole, and quesos. All kinds of different things for you to try. Their chips here, everything's made fresh. They don't do cans, they don't do microwaves, they don't do freezers. So everything, they literally finished the guacamole as I was standing there and put it in a container for you there. So it's marvelous. We'll see. We've got uh, two types of queso. We've got yellow mild queso. We've got uh, a basic queso. We've got uh, tomatillo verde. We've got guacamole. We've got uh, hot salsa. We have something without a name. I'm guessing that's more mild salsa. We've got kind of a corn dip of some sort. Yeah. And I don't know what else I miss. And then a green salsa as well. So which one are you going to start with? I think I'm going to start with the guacamole. Okay. So let's try this. The very first flavor of the week that we ever did was with Father Ben Mullenkamp when we did four different guacamoles. Really? This is a little bit of a, a flashback here. Mm. Nice taste of onion and saboyo and, and cilantro. Um, so it's really nice. Saboyo, you just, you just switched into Spanish there. I did. <laughs> Five different languages you speak. What, what languages? Mm, well, I only really claim to speak English, and I do that poorly. <laughs> okay. But languages that I've had to work in include Nepalese from my time in Nepal. Huh. French from my time in France and my time in Italy because I worked for a French archbishop. Spanish, because actually when I was, I, I spent a number of summers in Spanish-speaking environments sure. uh, in Mexico and in, um, and in Spain. Well, to actually in Catalonia, which is not Spain, they will let you know. Oh, okay. Is Those, it its own country? No, it's, a, it's, a, it's an area of Spain, but they wanted to be independent for a long time. <laughs> So when I was over there, they would say, Catalonia no es España, uh-huh. es diferente, uh-huh. uh, pero mejor. <laughs> okay. Which, so, <laughs> but better. So, you know, but better. It's different, but better. But different, but better. And so, although I didn't know Catalan, so they had to speak Spanish to me, which was, I think, uh, a real <laughs> come down for them. Right. What does Nepalese sound like? It is an Indo-European language related to Hindi and based on from Sanskrit. But if you... 
hear some words in it, they would seem vaguely familiar to somebody who knows European languages. So uh, mother is ama. Okay. The number for 10 is das, which is very similar to the French uh, dis. Huh. Di. So uh, as an example, seven is sat, just like in French set. Okay. So, but you know, you, you'd have to go back, I don't know how many thousands of years to get to that common root, uh, Indo-European. I'm not even sure. Tens of thousands of years, I'm assuming. Uh-huh. So let's back up a little bit here to your growing up before you were a priest. What was your family like? Where did you grow up? I grew up in D- the Detroit area. My parents are immigrants from Canada. My mother is Quebecoise, so she spoke French as her native language. My father is from Ontario, and they moved to the United States uh, for my father's job in the early night. Well, they were married in 55, but he moved a few years before that. They raised five children in Redford Township, Michigan, which is where we grew up and went to Catholic schools, uh, our parish school, and then the Jesuit high school in Detroit. Okay. And then a couple of years at the University of Chicago studying physics and economics before I entered the Jesuits. Uh-huh. I and mean, I was in the Jesuits for 36 years. Mm-hmm. So were you studying those things thinking about the priesthood or was that kind of a, a big change in direction of career? Well, you know, I, I grew up in a essentially a Catholic ghetto. So I, I didn't meet a non-Catholic till I was 12. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I didn't think priesthood was a, a real thing. We had priests at the house all the time, uh-huh. but when you're a kid, any priest is a hundred years old. Right. So <laughs> you don't really think about that as a, a viable thing. So, but when I was at the university of Chicago and I found myself there because of a variety of circumstances, really looking at seriously what I was doing with my life and why at that point I started saying, well, why would I do one thing or another? Or maybe a better question would be, what do I do when no one is watching or no one is paying me. Hmm. And it was just a lot of service work. Okay. Tutoring kids, like starting when I was in grade school as a fifth grader, tutoring second graders in high school, running the tutoring program for our high school, working with scouts, which there's a lot of volunteer work. Uh Of course, uh, serving in my parish, serving as a uh, as as an altar boy, or as what they called it later on, a knight of the altar, which uh-huh. was amusing. In in college, uh, helping out in other programs, helping out in soup kitchens and so on. And all these things, they sort of added up and say, well, you know, these are things that I find life-giving. So maybe I should start thinking about something more service-oriented than what I thought I was going to be, which was, I thought i didn't really have a great idea. I was the first in my family to go to college. I thought I might go to college and then go to law school. It wasn't really much, much more specific than that. Uh, Neither of my parents had graduated even from high school. So I was a little bit thrown to the winds, if you will. I mean, they sent me to a college prep high school and they expected that I would go to college, but what exactly that meant. They didn't have any specific notions. They didn't see this being a career of yours of not only attending schools and getting an education, but then turning around and, and giving back and, and being so involved with the educational system. Well, I, yeah, I don't know if they thought through that, but I mean, I, I did kind of what my parents did, which was also a lot of volunteer work. And so very active in the church, whether, you know, being part of different organizations or my father 
and for a while my mother both sang in the choir and were involved just different things at our mm -hmm. very large parish so yeah so i mean they were my parents are very supportive of my vocation when i told them that i thought i would enter religious life uh -huh. this was was it, were they excited about it or just supportive oh no no they were very excited okay yeah I think my mother probably asked me at some point when I was growing up, maybe even in high school, if I ever considered being a priest. And yeah. I, my response at the time, re looking back, was uh, my response was very blunt, no. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I think it was blunt that way because I probably had thought about it and I just uh -huh. didn't want to talk about it. Okay. So. Was it because you thought you wanted to have a family and being a priest didn't? fit in with that or just nobody you knew was becoming a priest and it didn't seem like that was something that people did yeah it just it just seemed like it was something it wasn't something that people did yeah i mean and i i expected that like in, in my world most people you you grew up you did you know your education you got a job you uh and you and you found somebody to spend your life with you sure. married and wrote raised a family so you know that it's might not be the model now, but it certainly was the model for me growing up. And so, you know, that was something that I just figured that I would do. And I think a lot of people, when they're younger, they just go along and they figure, well, I'm, everyone else is doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to do it as well. They don't mm -hmm. really, you don't have the perspective to say, maybe I need to think about other things. Right. right. So we better jump into some of these other okay. salsas here. Let's see what we have here. Let's try the Let's try the mild queso. I think it's the white one. Okay. Okay. Wow, it's uh, kind of thin. I'm going to try not to get this all over the table <laughs> and just into my mouth. Uh -huh. <laughs> hmm. Do you like quesos usually? Mm -hmm. Well, I do like it. I like, you know, any, uh, well, ooh, that's a little spicy. I wonder <laughs> if I got the mild one or not. <laughs> It says yellow mild queso. Okay, I would say that has a that. I so would then the, that's that's the white that you just tried, right? That's the white. So yeah. that might be a little more spicy than the yellow. Let me try this again. <laughs> hmm, it's good. This is the the, I guess just more kind of orangey. It looks like more like cheddar cheese. It's good. It has, it's got a slightly smoky flavor to it. Okay. But if I had to say, it's not as spicy as the white. So uh -huh. I don't know, maybe at least initially the white was, was spicier. Not, not really spicy. When I lived in, in India, I learned that my, I, I liked Mexican food and I lived in Mexico. But when I got to India, I, I couldn't handle the, the heat of uh -huh. the food and I was puzzled to me, but I just realized it was a different, you know, the heat came from different things. Right. And so now I eat all of that. Cause you know, having lived in South Asia for three years, you learn to eat them, the food. Yeah. And I want to hear more about your travels and all the different occupations that you've had and, and things that you've been involved with, but you mentioned joining the Jesuits. Why did you decide on Jesuits? Was it just because they were teaching in the schools that you were in and that was what you're familiar with? Well, that is the basis of it. But also, 
I like the fact that the Jesuits were very large and there were Jesuits working all over the world mm -hmm. and doing a lot of different things. I like that opportunity that you weren't going to be pinned down in one work for your entire life. And mm -hmm. I thought when I entered, I would work in high schools and I thought I'd be a high school principal because okay. I, I think I was just very impressed with the men who were my high school principals, two different ones. Were I they priests? Wanted, yes, both priests. And they also worked when I was in high school. I worked in the Jesuit community at my high school, washing dishes. Uh -huh. So I got to know some of the priests there. And then, of course, some of them would come to my family's home occasionally. My parents would invite them over. So all of that. But I also felt, well, I was drawn to the missions. And I think that had to do with you know the idea that you would be really committing to something that demanded a lot of you. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, in the Jesuits, I did end up working in high school, did not uh, become a principal, mostly because I was sent on for further studies. But I also worked worked overseas in the missions. I worked at St. Xavier School, St. Francis Xavier, but we just called it St. Xavier School in Kathmandu, Nepal. And I taught there for a couple of years. And that introduced me to, to teaching in that environment, into the, working in the missions, and to what it's like to be very, very far removed from anything that you f would find in your, at least American background. Right. You know, a different language, different context. It's not a Western context. Uh -huh. It's the script for Nepali is not the Roman script that we use. Uh, the numerals are not Arabic numerals. Uh -huh. And... I found Nepal to be the most beautiful place I've ever been. And I would still stand by that. Huh. Just stunningly beautiful and, and just incredibly green. But then, you know, I could leave my room and we'd have this kind of veranda that our rooms kind of exited onto. And if the weather were clear, I'd look out over the valley and see the Himalayas. I mean, how many people can get up in the morning and look on the highest mountains in the world? Yeah. It's just, I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. And then, and then be able to hike in those. That would be a very typical Saturday with the scouts. I ran a scout troop there at our school and we could do a trip. We'd, we'd hike to the edge of the valley and we'd start at 4,500 feet above sea level, take a bus to the edge of the valley it would be 5,000 feet. And then we'd climb up to, depending where we we're going, 10 or 11,000 feet. Uh -huh. And that would just be a half a day. Uh -huh. Half a day hike, you'd just go up, take a few hours, you'd have lunch at the top, uh -huh. and then you'd go back down. And the kids would, they would just run down. I mean, I my knees couldn't handle that, even though I was a very old, 26 or so. <laughs> so it sounds very similar to the landscape here in Indiana. Yeah, right? pretty much. <laughs> just, pretty much. Just doing some hiking up mountains. and That's right. right. <laughs> That's right. But now, don't let anyone tell you that Indiana is flat. It's not flat. You want flat, you go out to Nebraska. Sure. That sure. is flat. <laughs> yeah. So you go from a BA to an MA to an STL and an MDiv and an MBA and a PhD. How much of this is just this desire or hunger that you have to continue to learn? And or, or what is the motivation for well, this some continued of, education? Well, some of those are simply by the the degrees that you get in the Jesuits. Sure. So obviously I had to, I had to finish my BA after I entered the order. Yeah. And then I could have, I suppose, just gone off to teach high school with just the undergraduate degree. But 
I asked for the master's degree so that I would have a little more depth than what I was going to be teaching. Uh So I did that. Everyone has to get an MDiv. It's it's one of the requirements for ordination as a priest. Okay. And in the Jesuits, the requirement is that you get a second degree in theology as well. The doctorate, I had a provincial who said, I want you to get a doctorate. And I said, asked him why. And he said, well, because you're capable and we need people with doctorates. Uh-huh. So I said, yes, <laughs> yes, Father. Uh-huh. I asked him what he wanted it in. And he said, what are you interested in? And I said, I could go back in economics or I could do communication. And he said, either is good, pick one. And so I could more seamlessly move into the communication field. So I, that's what I did. So that's why I did the doctorate. And then the same th- reason I did the MBA, which I did after the doctorate, I had another provincial and he said that he wanted me to work in administration in the universities. And he said, in order to kind of jumpstart that, I want you to do an MBA. So I did that while I was teaching at Georgetown. Every other weekend, I would fly out to Chicago to the University of Chicago to take classes. Hmm. So, but in the middle of that, (laughs) in the middle of that, I got a letter assigning me to Rome to work at the Vatican. Uh So I didn't want to give up the MBA and the University of Chicago had a campus in London. So I just moved to that campus and continued the MBA and finished it about a year later or so. Huh. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should jump into another salsa here. Okay, let's but see what are we going to do here. You've got, while you're picking your salsa, you mentioned the Georgetown University, but also you've been at University of Washington, Creighton University, most recently Notre Dame, now here at the University of St. Francis. Mm-hmm. What kind of things have you learned from being involved with these different universities that you plan on bringing with you here to the University of St. Francis? You know, I think that it's always helpful to have a broad set of experiences. Those experiences help you understand that whatever situation you're in currently is not the only situation that exists. Right. And you're able to bring your ideas from other settings. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and talk with those. And my doctoral work was on the diffusion of innovation. And one of the things we learn about the diffusion of innovation, diffusion of ideas, is that, well, you, you don't get new ideas from people who think like you, your close friends and families and such. Right. You get ideas from people who are kind of the edge of your social circle. They're not completely removed, but they have ties in other communities and uh-huh. such. So as an example, growing up, even though I grew up in an all-Catholic neighborhood, I had people in that neighborhood who were from all over the world. I had Armenians and Italians and Lebanese and Poles and French and Irish and probably other groups as well. You know, it's just like we talk about the food here. You learn about different things because you're exposed to them. Uh And it's, yeah, it's all food and you just learn, okay, wow, I'm going to try guacamole. And this is amazing. And so, you know, so the same thing with ideas for universities. I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in (laughs) with people from our athletic league or people from the independent colleges of Indiana or within our groups here on campus, our president's cabinet. Uh, And so you talk with people and you find out that they do things slightly different, or they have a different sensibility, or they've got a different information set. All of that contributes to 
an advancement of the institution. We are grounded in our Catholic identity and our Franciscan heritage, but at the same time, there is room for new ideas or new approaches, and mm-hmm. and this is how what this is what we learn. So, is anybody here at the university intimidated that you taught a class on negotiation? I don't know <laughs> if anyone knows that here. <laughs> Even though I will tell you that one of the things I did before coming here was run St. Patrick's Church in in Walkerton, right? And I kept showing up because it, it was a place that uh, uh, it needed some TLC. And so one of the things I had to do was kind of get ahead of the deferred maintenance. And I would sh- kind of show up with things and people would just kind of shake their heads. And I would, just, I would call people that my first year we had to redo our, our parish hall because it flooded. And I called some people and I said, I need five trucks to show up at Notre Dame surplus. I've just purchased 200 chairs for our parish hall. And they're like, what, what is that all about? (laughs) I said, well, they're renovating North dining hall and they're selling these chairs for $3 a piece and Uh I'm buying them. And so, you know, we had all these people show up with trucks, a bunch of retirees with their pickup trucks and Uh stacking the chairs and. I would do things like that. And, yeah. and they would just say, you know, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of being pastor at St. Patrick's, we, we kind of skipped over this transition from being a Jesuit to being a diocesan priest for the Fort Wayne South Bend Diocese. Uh, which which salsa are you, are you going for here? This is the green salsa, and it is very hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think they mentioned that. Do you like it? I do. Or is it too hot? Well, no, it... If I hiccup, then I know it's too hot. But oh, I'm that, not hiccuping is yet. Is that the trick? That is, that is the mark. So if you hear a hiccup, you know it's too hot. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I I was in the in the Jesuits and I was did all these this training and have all the experiences and uh-huh. and found myself teaching at the University of Notre Dame. And you know, there's a lot of a lot of different things that go on in religious life and. You know, there was a point at which it just became clear that to me that a lot of my support system was with diocesan priests Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to leave the uh, university setting, but the Society of Jesus, like a lot of religious groups, struggles to retain its members. Hmm. And over time, over those, those several decades, probably 20, 25 years before, you know, I, I, I found that my classmates and had pretty much all left the order, gone on to do other things, either uh, most of them uh, before they were ordained, but some of them, in fact, I think there were, there are seven of us in my province, and there are three of us who are priests, huh. and, only, and none of us are in the Society of Jesus. Interesting. Yeah, one joined the Diocese of Youngstown, Ohio, uh-huh. and one left before he was uh, even got to theology, but later on, he would join another group, I think the Society of Our Lady of the Trinity. Hmm. And so he's a priest for them. So one of the beauties of the church is that you can find that things change and there are ways to adapt to those changes. Sure. Not everyone who enters seminary will find that they are really called to priesthood. Right. I look back on my time in the Society of Jesus and say I, I had incredible opportunities and 
there's an incredible investment that the society made in me and mm -hmm. and they did that and and they and I remember hearing years ago kind of a question about well, what if somebody gets a degree or all this training and then they leave say well they continue to serve the church they just serve the church in a different way mm -hmm. and so that's the case for me you know it, it is I was teaching it at Notre Dame and then I joined the diocese and and now I'm serving in a different way I'm no longer pastor I'm no longer professor but I'm the president of this this university and so this is simply a different form of mission it's yeah. a different different apostolate but the same the same vocation as a christian sure so never a high school principal which was nope. a little bit of the the Not desire the plan but a college president that's right a university president that's right did you ever think that that was a possibility well it is what i had been asked to prepare for okay in the in the jesuits mm -hmm. Huh. Actually, from very, fairly early on, there was a tremendous need for administrators, and and so I had any number of people who simply said, "Well, we, this is what we expect you to do," and it, for for a long while, kind of pushed against it. But then I realized that I had a certain approach and a certain skill set that suggested that being an administrator at university would be a logical trajectory for me, and being a president given that the president is able to be able to lead the university is probably the the best fit mm -hmm. and so at some point when you have enough people saying to me it seems clear that this is where you should be and after a while you stop shaking your head no and you <laughs> say maybe i'm maybe i'm missing something yeah so uh, bishop rhodes gave my name to the sisters and they did some background checks on me, sure. asked some people, and then they spoke to me and they said, this is what we'd ask you to consider doing. Uh -huh. So I'm very happy to be here. I think there's a lot of growth uh, potential here. And after following after Sister Elise, who really moved the university forward, there's, mm -hmm. those are big shoes to, to fill. Uh, but I'm hopeful that I'll be able to do that and be able to grow the university, grow different programs, continue to improve on the endowment that Sister Elise uh, really advanced from very little to uh, something that is at least respectable now and hopefully will make it even more so. Any programs in particular that you're hoping to grow? We've got a downtown campus here mm -hmm. in Fort Wayne and we're going to continue to expand programs there. Okay. And we also have a campus in Crown Point. We're developing a radiology technology rad tech i think they call it okay uh program and then some other programs there and so we hope to continue to grow those and so we we are heavily invested in healthcare. it's a tremendous need in our society and so we continue to want to to invest in that now fortunately you know with this covid 19 we've had the ability given that we do have a little bit more campus space than we thought we initially needed we were going to grow into it and we really had to because now with social distancing we have to have students in a greater number of classrooms right in order to make that safe right so the fact that we've got extra room in our downtown campus has been very helpful to us but when this all 
it goes away, we hope it goes away, then then we'll be able to just expand by numbers of students rather than just expand into the space that we already have. Sure. Well, there's a lot we didn't get into your bike riding, including riding across the country for Project Racial, talking about uh, post-abortion reconciliation and healing would be fascinating. Uh, your, your work as a retreat director, Vatican, you mentioned the United Nations. You are a professionally trained bike mechanic, actually. I am. <laughs> uh, just so much uh, avid cyclist, kayaking and hiking. A lot to talk about. Any last thoughts on the salsas? I thought they were excellent. And I didn't get to the Tomatilla Verde. Uh-huh. Or to the uh, the corn, but maybe I don't know. Can I take these home? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Okay, so I'll 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 get to them later. Yeah, <laughs> if you <laughs> finish these in a day or two, I'd be very impressed. There's a lot there to there's a lot to go there. after. That's right. But uh, our thanks to Guadalupe's Mexican Grill for providing these. And again, thank you so much, Father Zimmer, for sharing a little bit about your journey with us and your plans for the future of the University of St. Francis. Appreciate it. Thank you, Kyle. God bless. You can follow me on social media at Kyle Hyman or follow the show at Kyle Hyman Show. And until next time, remember to leave room for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit.